these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Okay. Escape the terror and stand with confidence. Escaping is something we all want to do when we are in danger and afraid of being trapped. I hope you have, we haven't got anybody that has arachnophobia uh, here today. Have you ever been trapped? Trapped in a situation, trapped physically, trapped emotionally, trapped in a relationship, trapped in a situation of work, trapped. Have you ever had that kind of situation in your life? How does it feel? How does it feel when we sense we are trapped? What's going on? Panic. Panic can get panicked. <laughs> panic attack even. The feeling of panic. What else happens to us physically or emotionally when we're trapped? Feel small. Feeling small. Yeah. Okay, I haven't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Even atheists pray. Even atheists pray when they're trapped. Desperation, yeah. I tend to sweat. Physically, I sweat when I'm feeling trapped. It's uh, it doesn't matter about the heat. It's just adrenaline, that fear going on there, the drive there. No control. A lack of control, being out of control. Yeah. It's not a pleasant place to be, is it? I, uh, I, I suffer occasionally from claustrophobia, and I, I, I was in Singapore at the beginning of this year at TJ and Sonia's wedding, and I was getting ready to go to the wedding, and I was picked up in a Bentley. <laughs> that was nice. Picked up to go to church, to the wedding in a Bentley. And uh, it was a lovely car, and so I went to sit in the back. It was a two-door car, and the back seat in this Bentley was a sports kind of Bentley, and they were really small, and there were... Uh, three other quite large men in this car and I, I got into the back and the driver put his seat down and I just felt suddenly this incredibly sense of being trapped and claustrophobia and I said I'm really sorry but I need to get out and, uh, and I, it, it was a bizarre feeling and I said I'm really sorry but if I'm going to go in this car I need to sit in the passenger front passenger seat and I'm sorry for the rest of you but I, 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 otherwise I, I'll get a cab whatever you know and so the groom it was TJ who was getting married he had to sit in the back so I sat in the front. I was really grateful for his humility. 
We turned up at the church and we drove in and they dropped me off and then they drove out again and put TJ in the front seat and drove in with him in the front seat so the photographer could photograph him in the front seat coming to his own wedding. I appreciated his flexibility. Uh, but you know, we have those moments, don't we, of just feeling trapped. And Jesus is warning people here about being trapped. Some of us would know Phil and Louise Miller from the southeast. They were on the street in Barcelona when the attack happened and the people were killed right in front of them. They're on holiday there. They were actually on the street. Him, he was Phil, Phil and his son Peter, actually not Louise. And uh, they were ushered into a cafe, they all rushed in and just hid and, and stayed in this cafe until it all died down. Can you imagine that kind of terror? I've not been that close to that kind of thing. Terror is around us. And sometimes it comes on us when we least expect it, like Phil and his son walking down a street in Barcelona on holiday. And sometimes it comes when we expect it and we know there are tough, there are tough times coming. And Jesus is wanting to warn people here about what's going to go on. We talked last week about the destruction of Jerusalem that he predicted earlier. And he's talking about a bit more here. And the temple is... Uh, <coughs> sorry, that's Phil and Louise. Phil was actually baptized the same month as me, November 1984. So we're kind of twins. Uh, he was about 15 at the time. And I wasn't. Um, anyway, so the temple, uh, Jesus says, will be destroyed. He's talking about it a bit more here. And, uh, and what we know from history, from Josephus, a historian, is that uh, Jerusalem, hard to spot. But anyway, you've got the general idea of the geography of the area, and then more specifically, Jerusalem is... Let me put your battery in this. Jerusalem's here, and what we know from, the, uh, from Josephus is that the Christians heeded this warning that Jesus is giving them, and in AD 70 they fled Jerusalem and went to a place called Pella. Most of them went to Pella, which is a place over here, uh, Jesus says, flee to the mountains. Pella's not in the mountains, but you have to go into the mountains and through the mountains to get to Pella. So that's what they did. They went into the mountains around Jerusalem. Some of them stayed in the mountains, hiding in caves and places, and then most of them ended up in Pella in the Decapolis on the other side of the Jordan there. Um, Josephus tells us that in Jerusalem, when that siege happened between 67, 68, 69, and 70 AD, uh, 97,000 Jewish people were taken in as slaves. They were taken as prisoners and became slaves. 97,000. And 1,100,000 1, people were killed in that siege. Jerusalem doesn't normally have that kind of population. But because of the attacks that were going on, more and more Jewish people came out of the countryside, the other towns, and into Jerusalem. Partly for safety, because there was a rebellion going on. They felt like Jerusalem would be safe. But partly, I think, also because it was the holy city. They wanted to go and defend it and be there, be around the temple. But eventually, uh, Roman soldiers broke through. They destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They set up pagan um, altars and sacrifices in the temple, and the whole thing was, was destroyed. It's a terrible situation. Now, it's so horribly graphic what happened in Jerusalem that I won't even tell you because it's just so disturbing. But what's encouraging? is that the Christians knew this prophecy and they stayed alert and they paid attention and they were able to escape. Mm. And I think it's a wonderful thing that God warns us about the things that can trap us but tells us how to escape. It's not like we are, or we have to be, trapped at all. Those are the ruins of Pella today. So it's a city that's been discovered by archaeologists and, uh, and excavated. 
So what we're talking about in terms of being trapped, we're talking about bad stuff that can happen to us if we're not alert spiritually. Um, our earthly traps are temporary, but we're talking about the danger of being trapped eternally and then how to avoid that. So the good news is that because of the compassion of Jesus, we, we are given fair warning about how to escape those traps. We are very, very lucky. So he says in this passage, after all these warnings about what's going to happen, what's our response meant to be? He says in verse 34, be careful. Be careful. Uh, that's a big uh, thing today. As uh, Dawn, as your two children were sent off to try and buy some grape juice. Yeah, all right? They went off to try and buy some grape juice because they didn't have any for communion. What was the last thing I think I heard Dawn say? Be careful of the road. Be careful of the road. Be careful of the road. Right? That's, that's a parental thing, right? Be careful of this, be careful of that. Now, that's absolutely right. But Jesus gives us this. Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down. What weighs us down these days? What weighs Christians down? I mean, there's weighing things down in the world, fine. But, but for us, what weighs us down? What would you say? What gets us down sometimes as a Christian? What can weigh us down in a way that we don't like? Stress about stuff. Stress about stuff with a capital S yeah. underlined. Okay. Stress about stuff. Like money and stuff. Like money as in the lack of it. Usually, or the, or the sense of a lack of it. Or, yeah? Family. 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 Right. Concern about family, extended family. Mm. Yeah, okay. What else? When I feel like I haven't done something as well as I should do or could do. Right. Or when I've stuck, the first thing that comes in my head, examples at work, when I've said something or done something or or been involved in something I know that I shouldn't I just should have walked away right. just should have walked away shouldn't have got involved in it walked away and you walk away going just got it wrong again yeah yeah, yeah. I let God down again okay and that sense of disappointment in yourself yeah and, yeah, yeah mistakes made mm. anything else Kate was it I was going to say kids 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 When that secret drone that you sent up isn't working properly. <laughs> 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 yes. Um, <laughs> what I hear some of my friends saying, other, other disciples or my friends, um, it's things like just reaching out to the lost actually. You know, it, it's quite challenging. I'm, I'm mm. hearing that quite a lot. So please be praying, we be praying for the it weighs me down when I talk to people about God and they're not responsive. Yeah. It, it really does. Oh, you know, I'm trying and not getting anything coming back. And, and yeah, yeah, it's, it can be a challenge. I think um, there was an article in the newspaper this week that Closing of the eyes, and I know it's not that bad, and then just seeing this article and 
Yeah. It can be a little overwhelming when you read about it, but also when you know people yeah. who've been very severely damaged by mm. these kinds of wrongdoings. Yeah. And that, that can weigh us down. Even where, where is our God to, to allow this to happen to people that we care about? These maybe doubts and burdens of concern can weigh us down. There's a lot that can lead us into uh, a trap. A trap. Because Jesus is saying, you don't want to get trapped here. Now to the Christians, he's saying, you don't want to get trapped in Jerusalem. But it's much more than that. Because he's talking about being alert to what can damage us spiritually. Don't get weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. I think this kind of sums up life. I mean, just that phrase. It sums up the challenges of life. Carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Carousing and drunkenness are similar. Not quite the same words in the Greek, but similar. Um, it definitely is a kind of a giving oneself over to that lifestyle. It's not getting drunk occasionally. I'm not saying that would be good either, but it's not about that. It's that kind of pursue, pursuance. Yeah. Pursuing pleasure for its own sake, looking for it to fill the hole that only God can uh, can provide us for what we need. Um, it's that kind of idea. Pleasure seeking to hide the emptiness inside, covering over the anxiety that he then talks about, the anxieties of life, uh, which create great fear in us, which can manifest in self-dependency, uh, at least outwardly. These are the things that kind of weigh us down. I think one of the challenges of the Christian life is to be honest with ourselves about whether we're being weighed down or not, or how much we're being weighed down. Because Christians are supposed to be happy, and supposed to be joyful, and a lot of the time, it may well be that we are. And that's a good thing, and nothing wrong with that. But there are also times to be honest. Jesus, I think, is counselling us to be honest with one another. In, um, as you will know, I have this other life in Thames Valley, and doing things down there. And at the moment we're doing a, a Friday night series on spiritual disciplines, which I'm teaching. And we're halfway through. And I've taught everybody is meant to be uh, embracing one spiritual discipline for the month of August and practicing it. And it may be silence, it may be fasting, it might be fellowship, it might be uh, all kinds of list. And I thought, because if I'm teaching it and I'm expecting everybody else to do that, I must also do this myself. So I picked the spiritual discipline of fellowship. And you may say, well, that's kind of obvious. That's what Christians do. Yeah, but the idea is to really push it. Like to really make fellowship something you do a lot. And push yourself outside your comfort zone. And this is good for me because although I like hanging out with people, I like making it limited and controlled. And then I like to go away and do the other things that refresh me and get me ready to go back out and spend time with people, and that's totally fine. But I like to have my limits set and have them within comfort, right? But this is about pushing it well beyond that. And so for the last two weeks, I've been praying and making myself, in faith, step out of that and into more contact with people. Uh, in the flesh, mostly. Some, some phone calls and things, but just spending time with people. And I've managed to do that, and it's been tough on me, I have to say, <coughs> emotionally, but it's been good for me. But the reason I share this with you is that I've realized that when we embrace spiritual disciplines, it really reveals a lot more about what's really going on inside. Mm. We had some sharing on Friday, and one of the men said, I, 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 
I'm doing the spiritual discipline of silence. Spending time in silence with nothing else, just to be with God. And he said, it's scary. Because I realise my mind is like cranking away with all these thoughts. And a lot of them aren't pleasant. And I found the same thing with me with fellowship. Even though fellowship is being with other people, it's revealing to me what's really going on inside. That I'd really rather not be with this person. And that's a terrible thing to feel when you're with a Christian. Actually, right now, emotionally, I'd rather be on my own. I'd rather be doing something I want, I prefer to do. Or disciplining myself spiritually to be really present with that person the whole time I'm with them. Not just for five minutes, like a quick <coughs> chat, but actually for an hour. Am I really with you? Am I really paying attention? Am I really loving you the way that Christ would love you if Jesus was having this conversation? Am I listening? Am I really listening? And of course, what's going on in my head a lot of the time is, frantically, get out of here, leave, you've had enough, you've done your duty, uh, Jesus understands, and I've got this other voice going on. It's helpful, but it's humbling, because I like to think of myself as more spiritual than I am a lot of the time. And I think what Jesus is saying here is pay attention to what's really going on inside. You're not condemned by what's going on inside. But if you don't know what's going on inside, how can you possibly be alert and ready for the challenges when they come? And so that's what's going on. Now, let's take a few minutes to think about something. Uh, let's think about Noah. Now, I know we know the story of Noah, so we're not going to study the whole passage here in Genesis 6 and 7. But what I'm going to ask you to do, that's a rough idea of what people, some people think is the length and the shape and the size of the ark as it was built. Rough idea. Must be something like that. But here's what I'd like you to think about. Can you talk to the person next to you about... From what you know, the story of Genesis 6 and 7, you can look there if you want. How did Noah escape? Alright, can we take five minutes on that? Perhaps turn, turn to someone next to you, near you, and talk for five minutes about how did Noah escape? Okay. What did we discover? <clears throat> how did Noah escape? How did he escape? Apart from the obvious. Okay, well, let's have a few ideas. Okay, built thing, yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Okay. Oh, God, you have to be obedient. Okay, fine. Obedience. You take on the ridicule from people around. <coughs> what are you doing? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine trying to do that in the middle of Croxley? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he listened. He listened to God. Okay, he listened to God. Okay. All right. To the warnings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. He must have believed it. So he had faith and believed that what God said was true. He took God at his word. Mm, very good point. Mm. What else? What else did he do to escape? We had to invest in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm. I imagine it's very cheap to build a boat that size. Mm. And also, you just stop working. And I mean, in those days, it wasn't like you had savings. So you were saying, it's quite hectic what you had to do. What a really good point. I mean, it, it took... Investment of time, energy, and money. I don't think it's much different in, in running a church today, actually. It's <laughs> time, energy, and money to, to build something to the glory of God. Um, an ark, in a sense, full of people that we know. Anyway, yes. Yes, um, he didn't really care so much what people thought. You know, okay. Because he was supposed to look a real bit yeah, ridiculous, really, building a huge ship. Okay. He didn't care what other people thought. He cared more what God instructed him to do. And thinking about the Christians and Pella, 
It looked safe and stayed in Jerusalem, but the Christians fled and went somewhere else. That didn't look right, but they had heard the warning. Okay. Some parallels. Anything, anything else? Any other things that reasons why he escaped? And how? So I think that with all these things are right. And he was an extraordinary person. And he recognized two things. He recognized the brokenness of the society that he was in. He recognized that. If God said it was it had gone too far, he accepted that. He was aware of it. It says that he was a righteous man. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but that he viewed things the way God viewed them, instead of the people around him who did not view things the way God viewed them. And thus he he took what God said seriously. Because he understood that the society in which he lived was trapped. There was no escape there. So that's one way. And the other was simply that he was obedient to God's crazy plan. God's really crazy plan. And then he, as a result, did escape. Uh, Hebrews summarizes it like this. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. That's the key. Not yet seen. In holy fear, built an ark. To save his family. By his faith he condemned the world. And became heir of the righteousness. That is in keeping with faith. Faith. That comes. That His expression of his faith. Was in what he did. In building the ark. And being obedient. The application directly, really, is this from Peter, which we won't read all of, but we know, I think 1 Peter 3, that the parallel between what he did, escaping the world by being in the ark, and the parallel for people today to escape the sin of the world by being baptized. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, the message version here, just for a change. Um, Even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved then, eight to be exact, saved from the water, by the water, the waters of baptism that do that for you. Not by washing away dirt from your skin, but by presenting you through Jesus' resurrection before God with a clear conscience. We don't get our sins washed away any other way than by the waters of baptism. It's an amazing thing that it represents this, it is a parallel with the flood waters that both washed away the sin and saved Noah. And baptismal waters wash away sin and save us. What a wonderful promise. Let's not forget that. And I think one of the ways to escape the world around us, or to escape the, the challenges of what Jesus says here about being concerned about the, the allure of pleasure and giving into anxiety, is that we remember where we've come from. We remember that we've been saved by the waters of baptism. What an amazing thing. And that gratitude can keep us uh, strong in our faith. Just to wrap up then, Romans 5, I like this verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. At the end of the passage we've been looking at, he talks about standing, escaping all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Stand with confidence, escaping the terror and standing with confidence. We do that because of what Jesus has done. We stand in this grace. We can escape 
what will trap other people. We can stand before the Son of Man with confidence. The way out of the trap is to trust the one who has already escaped the trap. The trap of death is one that we cannot escape, but Jesus has by his resurrection. Thus we trust him for what happens in this life and after we die. Trusting him for how to escape in baptism and trusting him so that we stay alert to what may trap us now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the warnings that you give us in your word. We are very grateful that you don't leave us in the dark and that you don't condemn us. <clears throat> We're grateful, Father, that you've reached out to us just like you recognized Noah's heart. Father, we were grateful that you picked us out for whatever reason you did and offered us this escape from the trap. Father, we pray that you'll help us to always be grateful and to stay alert for the rest of our lives. Always be alert and not become complacent, to be sober, but also to be hopeful because we do know that we can escape and we can stand with confidence before you. Father, we thank you for the example of Noah. We pray that you'll help us to imitate him in our faith and our obedience. And Father, we will see our families saved too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.